0: God, you are indeed our rock, our refuge, our mighty fortress that we would run into your gates which are swung open wide to those who seek refuge in you. Amen. Uh, Tomorrow, October the 31st, uh, will mark the 400th 499th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his 99 theses to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And so, happy Reformation Day uh, to all of you. And we set aside this Sunday to talk about uh, Reformation Sunday. Uh, And this morning we've been given some wonderful scripture readings uh, for this occasion. And one of the great cries uh, that Martin Luther and others of the Reformation had uh, was sola scriptura, scripture alone. Now, this doesn't mean that we throw out tradition, reason, or experience, uh, but it does mean that Scripture is our ultimate authority. Some of you who have grown up in Anglican circles have been told that Anglicanism has bases its authority on a three-legged stool. That is the authority, the leg that is scripture, a leg that is tradition, and a leg that is reason. And this image is often attributed to Richard Hooker. But let me set the record straight this morning. He never said it. Never once did he say that that was a three-legged stool, somehow equating scripture as being on the same level as tradition or reason. In fact, Hooker believed the opposite. Hooker believed the very same thing that the English Reformers did about Scripture, tradition, and reason. He said, Scripture teacheth all supernatural revealed truth, without the knowledge whereof salvation cannot be obtained. The main principle whereon our belief of all things therein contained dependeth is that the Scriptures are the oracles of God Himself. Now, one of the chief arguments against Luther was that of private judgment. Johann Eck, his great adversary, put it to Luther, Do not claim for yourself that you, you are the one and only man who has the knowledge of the Bible, who has the true understanding of Holy Scripture. Graham Tomlin, who has preached here at the Advent and is now Bishop of Kensington in London, writes... Luther has been seen as the classic man against the machine, or the prisoner of conscience. Despite his language, it is clear that the ultimate standpoint to which he appealed was not reason or conscience, but to the manifest teaching of the Bible. What he did took courage mixed with a certain amount of bravado. And so we turn turn to Psalm 46 this morning, often referred to as Luther's psalm. Uh, Luther, as a monk in the monastery, uh, the monks who would have services very often uh, there in the confines of their uh, monastery, uh, they would get through the entire book of psalms in a week, and they would sing through them. And yet, this psalm, of all the psalms, really stood out to Luther so much that it was the inspiration for his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it's no wonder, not only because Luther had such a confidence uh, in the Word of God, which told him that God was his strength and his refuge, uh, but also the circumstances of his life, uh, where his life was on the line for the very truths that he was espousing. Luther knew that God is our refuge and strength a very present help in times of trouble. It's no different for us today. God is not the cavalry that is on its way. He's not waiting in reserve for us to cry out for help. He is our help and our strength now. Even when it seems absolute darkest, that is where God is. And he knows, the psalmist, what life is like. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. When it feels like the earth is giving way, when it feels like your world is falling apart, God is your refuge and your strength. when I was younger, uh, which isn't saying much, but I remember it was 1989, I had the flu, and I was supposed to be recovering in bed. Uh, but I had this little black and white television next to me, and I turned the knob uh, so that I could see the screen, uh, but not hear the, the uh, noise, the sound. Uh, For I don't know what game it was, but it was the 1989 World Series. It was the Battle of the Bay. It was the San Francisco Giants versus the Oakland Athletics. And I'm watching the uh, opening uh, scenes before the first pitch. And right before the first pitch, all of a sudden, the screen goes totally blank started flipping the knob. Uh, You can explain to your children what that means. Flipping the knob uh, to the other uh, stations, which were perfectly fine. And it wasn't until the next day that I found out what happened. There was an earthquake in Oakland. And there's some wonderful pictures of the baseball players, mostly Oakland Athletics, FYI, uh, helping people uh, there in uh, the stands uh, in the wake of the earthquake. We lived in South Carolina. I can handle hurricanes. Uh, I can handle tropical storms. Mainly, why? Because they tell me that they're coming. Right? You have this many days to get off the coast of South Carolina and find a place of safety and refuge. I mean, even in Luther's day, they don't have Doppler radar, the National Weather Service, the National Holy Roman Emperor Empire Weather Service, uh, but you can see the storm clouds gathering. You knew one was going to storm, but an earthquake? What kind of warning do you have for an earthquake? None. You're not aware of it until you're in the middle of it. And, and what do you do in an earthquake? There's no storm shelter, there. there's no running away. You're at its mercy. All you can do is cry out for help. The psalmist goes on to say, look, there are lots of things that you're going to run to for refuge because that's the nature of our hearts. Some of those we're really aware of. In verses six through nine, he runs through some of them. Kingdoms, wars, battle bows, spears, chariots, shields. There are all kinds of other options that we look to for safety, for refuge, Again, most of those are probably obvious to us if we're Christians. Those false forts that we want to put our lives into. But some are not so readily apparent, which is why I think the psalmist goes out of the way to bring up politics. Right? This is where he goes from preaching to meddling. And he talks about kingdoms of this earth that will fade away. He talks about wars. He talks about power grabs. And I don't think I have to say it, but we live in a cultural climate right now where politics have gotten totally out of control to the extent that we can't even communicate with one another over political ideas without us taking it personally. Now, I'm not making a political statement. I'm making a theological statement. I heard one politician say recently that we are better than this. But are we? Politicians are not trendsetters, they're not trailblazers, but they are reflections of where we are as a culture and a nation. And many of us have hinged ourselves upon this very election. But our psalmist would say to us, if any election has the power to bring you to utter despair or overwhelming jubilation, You have trusted in the wrong thing. Because our trust and our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who with a word can cause the very earth to melt away. He is on the throne and no one else. The salvation of our nation, indeed the salvation of the world, our welfare, our safety is in him. No political party represents the Christian faith. This is not to mean that we shouldn't be engaged in political life in our country. I hope that you all vote on election day. It doesn't mean that we're not supposed to pray for our leaders. We do that every Sunday. That we're supposed to be quiet in our political convictions. We do belong as Christians in the public square. But what it does mean is that our trust is in the Lord of hosts, that he is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And Luther would have known this as we know it and as the psalmist knew it because he lived in an age where politics was everything. Frederick the Wise, the elector of Saxony, protected him from the other political powers that be. Charles V wasn't as intentional about going after Luther because he depended upon the support of that elector as well as his family who were other electors to keep him as Holy Roman Emperor. And even in our own Reformation in England, when Henry VIII sent a petition to annul his first marriage to Catherine of Aragon, the Pope's denial of it had nothing to do with morality. It had everything to do with the fact that the Pope, there in the Vatican, was sitting under house arrest because Charles V had taken him prisoner and sacked Rome. And who was Charles V, other than being Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire? The nephew of Catherine of Aragon politics made and still make the world go around in a very real sense and many times during this dark and tumultuous period when terribly discouraged when their life was on the line whether that be on continental Europe or in England people turned to the word of God for comfort Luther on several occasions, it's noted, would turn to Melanchthon when things seemed particularly bad, and he said, Come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm. They would preach to themselves of where their help and comfort and refuge and salvation would come from. With unshakable confidence in God, Luther reflected upon and drew strength From the 46th Psalm, he wrote this about it. We sing this psalm to the praise of God because he is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. Luther was not turning or running to Frederick the Wise as his refuge and strength. He was running to God. Only in him could he find safety and refuge. And then the psalmist changes tone. He finally gets to verse 10 and the psalmist is quiet. But God speaks and says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We preach to ourselves in dark times, in times of uncertainty, knowing who God is allows us to rest, to not be undone, but to know that he is in charge. Luther lived to a ripe old age. But it was not so for many of our English reformers and other continental reformers. Cranmer, uh, when he was uh, martyred, was about 67 years old, which some of you think, that's young. Uh, But for the 1550s, that was relatively old. And you can see later portraits of Cranmer, who was old and had this very long white beard as if he was on his way to a ZZ Top concert. Uh, But uh, he was an old man. And he was jailed at Oxford, and there uh, you can go to, the, to uh, the, the prison site today, the tower is still there, uh, and he was taken finally up to the top of the tower uh, and released from his prison cell for one reason and one reason alone, is because Mary, uh, he had the political protection under Henry VIII and Edward VI, but politics failed him under Mary, she wanted him to see Latimer and Ridley burned alive. And so they helped him up the steps, and at the top of the tower, he witnessed the death of two friends and two compatriots in the Reformation. And he may have heard Latimer say loudly to Ridley his final words, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. For we shall this day light such a candle in England as I trust by God's grace shall never be put out. And from that point on the forces that be put Cranmer through the ringer. They they injured him psychologically and physically by uh, depriving him of human necessities, uh, by keeping him up all hours of the night, and finally they wore him down so badly that the last week of his life he signed recantations of the faith in Jesus Christ that he held so dear. Everything that he stood for and the very reason why he found himself in prison about to face his own death He recanted. And Mary's forces, along with those of the Roman church of the day, thought they had scored such a significant victory that they built a platform in the university church. And they hauled Cranmer, humiliated this betrayer, up before the very people whom he used to minister to. And they wanted him to stand and say, I reject everything that I ever believed, even justification by faith. I reject it all. And as they helped the old man up, he opened his mouth and he began to preach the gospel. Pandemonium broke out. Uh, They hauled him down. Uh, And immediately, uh, they hauled him to the very place where Latimer and Ridley had been burned. And they lashed him there to the stake, lit his body on fire. And as the flames rose, Cranmer held out his right hand and said, This is the hand that doth offend, the very one that signed those recantations. And he cried out his final words, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The dying words of Stephen, the martyr. Kramer blew it. He tried to find his refuge in a different fort. But he knew that the doors of the fortress of Jesus Christ are always open to those who would find refuge in him. They're never closed because it's never too late to go back in. He failed, but he knew where his refuge lay. Friends, the main character in Reformation Day is not Luther, Cranmer, Latimer, Ridley, or Calvin. It's the Word of God. Our psalmist says time and time again in this psalm, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Is the Lord on your side? Is Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, your Redeemer by his shed blood upon the cross? Is there a covenant between you and God as between God and Jacob? Have you run through those mighty doors where there is refuge and safety in Jesus Christ? I pray you have. Amen.